It's 5 o'clock. The show is This Week in Moab. I'm your host today, Christy Williams-Dunton, and it's a thrill to be able to speak about women in politics on this President's Day 2021. The Utah Women in Leadership Project, or UWLP, began reporting on the status of women in Utah politics in 2014 with updates in 2017 and now in 2021. And the first series of reports were initially prompted in 2014 by the Center for American Progress. It was titled The State of Women in America, a 50-state analysis of how women are faring across the nation that ranked Utah almost last in terms of women being in positions of decision-making and leadership. Well, this week in Moab, we catch up with Dr. Susan R. Madsen, the inaugural Karen Height Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership and the Director of Utah Women in Leadership Project at the John M. Huntsman School of Business up there at Utah State University. She released the report this month, and it has some interesting details about where we have made progress and where we have not. It details Utah's city councils, to Congress, and a lot in between. Susan, thank you so much for speaking to us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. You know, it may come as no surprise that Utah has lower numbers of women in leadership positions. I'm not sure I've seen data to undercover why or what can be done to improve that. You've included in your report a brief about cultural bias, about perceptions, which turn out to be crucial clues here in Utah informing those numbers. Maybe you could outline your work for us a bit. We'll start there. That sounds great. Just so your listeners know, we actually do reports on all different sectors, from business to higher education to government and just various boards and commissions on states. But this is really an important one to me and to many people is the work that we're doing on women in politics. My whole work is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. And if you don't get the messages out and if you don't get the research, you can't get people to have ahas and want to be in the conversation. Um, and one of the things that's so critical and what we know from leading social change and the research on that is if you don't know where you're at, it's hard to to really track your project progress and see where you're going. And so that's where, why we've been doing these reports. So as you mentioned, we have some good news and some not so good news. So where do you want to start? Well, you know, the report compares national numbers all the way down to cities and township positions. And compared to the nation, I'm gathering that Utah ranks quite low, 40th in the nation currently for uh, positions. Uh, set, Set me straight. So actually, it matters. There's seven different categories that we actually took a deep look at. And we went all over on websites and phone calls and every city and and town in the state, but counties as well as the state government. So the statistic that you just presented was our state legislature. 
And so what's interesting about that is many of the ranking studies for the United States use that particular data. That's only one of seven. But that's a, a critical thing. And in fact, we have made some slight progress in past years. In fact, in 2020, Utah was ranked 32nd. Now, that may not sound great, but that was improvement <laughs> from before. However, in this year, just one year later, we have slipped to 40th. And interestingly, there's a number of women who shifted out and retired. More women ran for the state legislature. But that movement from last year at 32nd to 40th was because we lost one seat. Wow. Oftentimes women say to me, it doesn't matter, you know, or men say, you know, one person can't really make a difference. Well, actually, they can. They can, in, um, especially in these state legislatures. So, you know, now we're back to 40th. Um, and so what that means is we don't have the representation needed. And some of the subcommittees and, and different groups that, that work out of, out of the legislature they still don't have a woman on them. And people, sometimes I get some pushback. People say, well, you know, we just need good people to run for office and serve. It doesn't matter if they're men or women. Actually, the research says it does. Uh, communities, uh, states have better decision-making, more innovation, more creativity when there's more diverse voices, particularly in gender. You revealed that uh, like in 2018, 2020 was a record-setting year for women running for office across the country. I found an interesting finding that the election of Donald Trump, along with the Me Too movement, inspired women to get more politically involved, regardless of party. But uh, the interesting bit that women win elections at the same rate as men, but fewer women run. Uh, can you take us further into what you discovered there? Yeah, absolutely. We have another report that was just released the month before um, in January that really goes into some of those reasons. And that was a qualitative study where we had really great input from 118 women across the state of Utah on their the benefits of running, why they decided to run, and some of the challenges. And what we do know from that study as well as others is that that – there's many reasons why women don't run, um, and we're seeing some changes, so we're seeing some movement. Uh, but one is that most people still picture, and this is not just Utah, this is around the world, still picture politicians and leaders as men. And so oftentimes they just vote for men without really thinking through that. And you know, it's a little more threatening for women to run for office because we're socialized differently than men. And we like people to like us. There's many reasons for that. And so the thought, and, and we're a little more risk adverse, you know, than men. And so the thought of putting yourself out there and just getting attacks doesn't feel good to a lot of women. And so the women that end up running really do so for a few different reasons. Uh, uh, our study from from January said the number one reason women actually step forward and run for office is that someone asks them to do that. And in my case, um, people have told me that it takes three people to ask them to run. And so oftentimes they're thinking, oh, that, you know, I don't really want to do that. But when people 
ask them to run. And when they feel that they really, really want to make a difference, they'll dive in and do that. Um, oftentimes, women don't feel support of other people. And so those are important things. There's many other reasons, but those are a few. I do want to note the good news, though. The be- One of the best pieces of those seven categories that we really addressed in our brief that we, the biggest jump we saw actually was in mayors. So there's 248 municipalities in the state of Utah, uh, in the state of Utah, uh, with um, Moab being one, um, and 43 now are women. And actually, that just that still puts us at only about 17 percent, 17 percent of of mayors being women, but. That in the last four years is a nine percent jump. So that's there were more women who ran and won in those mayor positions. And just a little note as well, about four percent we went up about four percent in women serving on city councils. So actually the city level was the place that we saw some real movement. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and we're, we're seeing some changes when we look around the state in those areas. We, we're still below the nation, but we're making some movement there. And you also, uh, did I correctly assess that the smaller the town, the more the uh, representation? May, actually, actually it, it, we don't have a, a specific pattern there, but we do definitely see, in fact, in terms of of the highest percentages of what we're seeing are populations 30,000 to about 65,000. So not necessarily the very smallest cities, um, but we have more, you know, there's there's more smaller cities, so you see higher numbers of women, but the percentage is, is still not that. So we see a real difference. In fact, we really have five... Um, mayors in the state of Utah of cities that are 100,000 or more, and two of those are actually females. So our highest percent really is 40% in that top, those large, and of course, you know, Salt Lake City has had a female mayor for a while, so that's that's one of the big ones. And our own Emily Niehaus here in Moab, Utah, a good example of um, more more of that representation. You know, I thought that the qualitative study about the perceptions of women elected officials in Utah, some of the challenges and barriers and um, some of those responses from the participants stated some really salient quotes. One participant stated that politics is the only place that slander is legal and that Public scorn, humiliation, slander were pretty big challenges of serving in office in addition to navigating uh, the good old boys network. So uh, while it may not be such a surprise there, what did you, how did you um, receive that? Well, it wasn't a surprise for us because we know the stories and we know, and I I work with many politicians across the state, but what's really important when we do this research and release it, that it becomes really, you know, more people can read it and more people can understand because a lot of people just don't 
think it's a big deal or don't see that. But what we know as well is when women run for office, when they're really informed, when they know what they're getting into, when they see some of those challenges, they can prepare better and really talk to people and and so that, that it's not a surprise and they don't give up, right? Uh, one of the interesting things, when you look at the socialization of boys and girls, we're really socialized different. And boys, and, and one of the reasons I tell girls, it's good to get girls in sports and doing some competitive things, um, but boys are really socialized to be okay with bantering back and forth. But girls are, I mean, parents and educators, when girls start doing that, we're like, don't be a mean girl. Don't, you know, so there's this, you know, be quiet, raise your hand, kind of different socialization for girls than boys. And so when you go into the political arena, you're really going into a masculine space. The way that politics work is absolutely masculine. And so that is off-putting to many women. And um, the more you learn, the more you learn how to kind of navigate that. We always hope one of these days those that will change. But in the near future, we're not seeing that. But, you know, the biggest challenge they did say was the gender bias. You know, mansplaining is in there, uh, discrediting, that bantering back and forth, the criticism that comes out, and, you know, the personal attacks. Um, and I don't think that happens everywhere, but I think you get at least some of that in most places. And in Utah, of course, it has the experience of, of traditional family constructions and duties there. So they report uh, receiving some censure, uh, judgment maybe, about how could they even do the job when they have young kids at home, or if they're just uh, sharing their point of view about a particular topic, they are told to calm down. Absolutely. Those kinds of actions are documented in literature on women's leadership. Very common. Um, The question and the assumption, and this comes from men and women, and other women too, that, you know, those questions, women tell me all the time who are politicians, amazing how many questions, like, what are your kids? How can you do this? When a man in that same position, you know, running for office, he's could have the same number of kids, the same age of kids, the same family situation, I would never be asked that. So there's some real strong bias, conscious and unconscious, that that's going to take time to overcome that's just there and those judgments. And women, by the way, we know this, your listeners will, will know this, the focus is so much on appearance, and those things that are sometimes very unrelated to the actual work that needs to be done. Um, so that how, how a woman looks. And that is something I have to say that's been socialized into our society from the time they're young. We talk about girls, how beautiful they are. And all the way up, it's so much in terms of looks that when you get to people running for office, we look at what they're wearing, what their hair is. You know, we expect specific things. And with men, it just doesn't even come up. So there's some interesting differences in the way 
that the community and people talk, and even the press. By the way, we're doing an extensive study right now on looking at Utah press, media and press. Uh, we're focusing on written um, and how they treat female and talk about and the words they use, the adjectives they use to talk about men and women who are running for office, uh, which should be an interesting analysis. I read elsewhere not that long ago that Utah has, and I don't know where the measure came from, but the most internalized sexism from women, a kind of lateral oppression. Can you describe that if you... Uh, yes. Know something yeah. about it? Yeah. Yes, I talk about all these topics a lot, so I know the research around that. Yes, it was a, uh, about a year and a half ago. There was a, a study that came out um, that national study ranking states. They do that a lot with gender issues these days, and I think it's helpful actually to look at. So one particular study measured sexism, and let me tell you the way that this study actually measured it. And it it really was looking at the attitudes of people that really separate men and women, like the roles they play. Like in your mind, are men supposed to do these things and women should do these things? So men are supposed to run for office. Women really shouldn't. That's not their, quote, role. And so that it doesn't make, I mean, it makes sense when you think about some of our cultural issues in Utah, why that may play out. But they're even found in this study that women have even stronger sexism in these areas than men. That means women are saying, wait, that woman should not be doing that. That's not a thing women should do. Men should be doing that. Men should be the breadwinners, whatever it is. I mean, there's many topics, you know, when people that speak out. Well, that's, you know, if a woman's speaking out, that doesn't feel right the way she's doing that. Something's wrong. Um, So this real distinction of women's roles and men's roles, the way women should act versus men should act. So that's how the study really focused. And they looked at all of the states and found that Utah was so strong in terms of sexism in general, but women's having, having those feelings even more than men. Men were not great as well. Let's just put it out there. But it was surprising that women's views are really, let's keep women in their lane and men in their lane. So does that help kind of explain how that works out? Somewhat. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> not that it's not it. Not that I'm uh, espousing that at all. I'm just telling you the results. But we're trying to work on on because it, it's a problem when you get to politics. If men and women have both been socialized to believing that men should be in those roles, and that's not a role for women, that is part of the explanation. You know why we don't have as women as many women in those roles, and why we are indeed below the nation in many areas, in most areas in politics. It uh, it points a little bit to how, as you put it, uh, we as individuals can move the needle some. Um, and I want to get to that. I found that there was another point in this uh, perception. Um, brief that some of the responses underscore the importance of listening and interacting and the way that women communicate, the way that uh, some some researchers call it group think. They're able to uh, consider 
uh, groups outside the self, indifference to a kind of more masculine, um, as you say, mm, I don't want to say fighting words. What did you say? Confrontational. Comfort with confrontational yeah. speech. So uh, I, the differences in the way that women govern would seem to indicate that it's a good thing to have more of them there. Oh, absolutely. You bring up such a good point. There's a, a book from a number of years ago called Athena the Athena Doctrine that looked at 64,000 people in different countries around the world on the styles of men and women in leadership. And most people around the world now agree that, that, that more of this collaborative and teamwork and listening and nurturing and is actually the better way to lead moving forward. Now, politics is a bit behind management, not every company, not every organization, but you see this shift from old management, which is really strongly masculine, more, more, um, and that's, and not every man is, is like that, I have to say, but that more old style of task and, and top down to really more of things that women find very natural, the connection with relationships, the collaboration, the teamwork, the the really the win-win solutions, the listening, the nurturing. Again, not all women are like that either, right? But generally speaking, and what this massive study said that that we really need to move towards the women's style of leadership. And you see that in, in really cutting-edge companies today. But women, okay, I've, I've said that, and now I'm separating. Let's go back to politics, right? But politics is one of the hardest areas because it is so still masculine. The confrontation, the, the, um, the really name-calling, that kind of thing. There's ways to accomplish the same thing with civil dialogue, with respect. And you see some of our politicians today trying to do that, which I really respect whether it's coming from men or women. So we have an opportunity today as we look forward to really shift some of those conversations and I I would say municipalities cities and towns I mean you can create that environment and I I would say around Utah there are city councils and county you know commissioner groups that really have this kind of collaboration and respect but we don't see that every place I guess my point is and what you were alluding to is is women have now if we stay authentic to who we are and we're all different in different ways, have this um, style, these philosophies that are so much needed in our world today, whether it's in community groups, city councils, whether it's in the state legislature, or fortunately today we went from zero in 2017 with people in what we call state executive offices to one woman now who's our new lieutenant governor, Henderson. So, um, you know, even at that level, we really need to first see women and to see how a, a real authentic style can come and be effective in leadership today. There's a phrase called the caregiving economy that was perhaps coined by Rihanna Eisler, uh, a wonderful writer who who wrote a book called The Real Wealth of Nations that that outlines the differences in how women um, take care of their constituencies. Uh, and maybe a great companion, I couldn't help but remember it while I was reading through this sort of 10-point bulletin about what 
not to do if yes. you are, uh, you know. Um, and maybe I can just highlight one or two because I think it speaks a lot about what we all can um, remember and perhaps start to shift a little bit of that perception and that bias. Um, this is to women, I assume, but what not to do. Number one, do not short sell yourself. Uh, do not feel dumb asking questions. Do not be afraid to speak up and share perspective. Don't doubt your reasons for serving. All of these things, uh, you know, just half the list so far, speak a lot to matters of self-esteem um, and having one's voice. Uh, it's remarkable to me, this list of what not to do, because it shows what we have all been trained to do. We've been trained to short sell and to ask permission rather than to proclaim um, a point of view. Absolutely. And and the next one on this list, and people can get this study at utwomen.org, is to not apologize, you know, for your passion or other things. Yet we as women, from the time we're girls, are socialized to apologize way more than boys and men. So we are socialized often. People don't tell us. Our parents often don't tell us, although sometimes they might. But we see our mothers. We see elementary school teachers. We see women leaders in church settings. We see the way that they disclaim, you know, or or when someone said, good job, we say, oh, no, that wasn't me. You know, it was someone else. We see all of those behaviors. Um, and, and you'll notice that women much more say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, much more than men, right? And those are things that just come natural to us by our socialization. But we know that those kinds of things do reduce key, the the confidence in women. And there is a big difference. I do workshops and I've spoken a lot about the difference between so between men and women, boys and girls in terms of confidence. And there are some genetic things that we look at, but it's amazing how much comes from socialization and most of it is invisible. How we treat girls and boys differently. For instance, let me give you one thing. One thing on a study that relates, I believe, to this study. And so there's a fairly recent study that looked at fathers and how fathers treat their sons and daughters differently from a super young age. And what this particular study, they, they said women, moms are, are more equal, but for men, they protect their daughters in a good way. It's called benevolent sexism. I mean, it, not a good way, but from a good place of their, in their hearts. They protect their daughters way more than their sons. They encourage their sons to get out there and take risks. But the study said even at three years old, because of the father's protective nature, girls will be asking for help three times more than a three-year-old boy. And so, you know, they just don't take as many risks, but it's in subtle socialization. So now transfer that 30 years forward, let's say, with women running for office. You can see how that socialization through the years could make her, you know, more hesitant, 
kind of wait for her turn, stay in line, you know, the way that she's been socialized through it. So, so when we look at the future in terms of getting more women to run for office, to want to run for office, to aspire, then to run and then serve, you know, we need to start when they're young and really help train, train parents and educators on some of these elements. There is a conclusive statement by Lieutenant Governor Carrie Healy of Massachusetts. I wonder if you would like to speak it. Um, it talks about the mounting issues face- facing our country, so complex. Yeah, I love it. it it's, this, is, this is the statement. The mounting issues facing our country are complex. If we're going to solve these problems, we can no longer afford to leave the talent of half of our nation out of the conversation. And that is so true. Um, The research is quite clear. We have elements of many, many reports that we publish at the Utah Women in Leadership Project that do remind us that, especially for complex problems, in the UK they call this wicked problems, complex problems. When you have both men and women working together, you have more innovative, more creative solutions you know, more better problem solving. You just have different opinions at the table, so you have more options. And so when we talk about serving the residents in our communities, in your community and my community, um, in terms of complex problems and pandemic and some of the problems we're facing today, I think are some of the most complex that have ever been on this earth. Mm -hmm. We have got to have the best people at the table and the combination of men and women and people of color are going to make these decision-making groups better for everybody. I thank you so much for doing such detailed research. Again, uh, Dr. Susan Madsen at USU and perceptions of women elected officials in Utah and more about the work of the group itself, uh, the status of Women in Utah Politics, an update you're going to want to read. Where can people find it? Great question. Um, Our website is utwomen.org. We also have, uh, uh, you can subscribe to a monthly newsletter. I send it out just once a month, and it has our latest research, also resources like podcasts and videos and so forth, and then events. And we're doing all of our events on Zoom. We have some fabulous upcoming events on stopping violence against women in the state of Utah. But one that I encourage women and men to to join and teenagers as well on body image and some of the critical issues of girls and, and body image today. And, and we have others as well that are coming up. But all of that can be found at utwomen.org. And feel free to subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Dr. Madsen, thank you for your work and for your time today. Steady on. Thank you so much.